You know who was uh, king of the nicknames or the mobsters? You ever notice mobsters make really good nicknames? I was like, I just, I, I decided to Google like mobster nicknames. Oh my word, they're so funny. Like, you know, Clover, the brain, the clown, fat Jimmy, you know, like, and they had just, like, everybody had a nickname. No one used their real name. There's all these mobsters always had nicknames. One of the funny things about nicknames that's different than names, usually in America, sometimes people still name their kids because of the meaning of the name, but oftentimes we name our kids because the name sounds cool. You know, it's a, a, a good name, and we like it. Uh, but uh, a nickname usually has to do with some sort of attribute, uh, either uh, something that you did or something you're good at or something you're terribly bad at or uh, some physical attribute. There was a time in my life when I had a nickname because my ears apparently grew and my head did not. And uh, so I was called Dumbo for a while. Yeah, therapy session. Let's go. When I was in middle school, I was also called Chubbs because, yeah, I was, I, you know, the, so anyway, we, uh, th- there's, there's all these nicknames that, uh, that we can get, you know, um, that we can give each other. And, but usually nicknames, that, like I said, they have, they, there's something that's about us that we, we take that name and then we use that to, to kind of identify the person. And uh, that can be, again, a good thing or a bad thing. What it actually does is it, uh, in time, a nickname, can we start to identify ourselves based on this one thing above other things, right? And so if that's a really positive thing, well, you know, if, if, you, if your nickname, like the one mobster, was the brain, well, then maybe you're going to do really well in school and find your identity in that, and you're going to feel like you have to do well and that could be a positive motivation. If instead you're called Fat Jimmy, it might have like this other uh, uh, thing that causes trauma in you and ends up becoming an identity. In uh, Old Testament, of course, uh, people uh, were very particular about how they named their children, and it was usually about meaning. Um, and uh, some of those were uh, bizarre, uh, what the, the meaning was that a child got because of the events that were going on. And other times it ended up being really prophetic, that it was like God clearly led the, a parent to name the kid this thing or that thing because that's what their life was going to be about. Um, but names have an interesting thing that way where they, they have power as an identity for us that we start to live into. And uh, the nicknames in particular are because of things that, uh, that we carry. Um, most of us have, have things that we would not want to be identified by, uh, things in our past that we wouldn't want to be our nicknames. You know, if you think about it right now and you think about things in your past that were deeply embarrassing, and I don't just mean like I, you know, my fly was down when I was preaching one Sunday, you know, or something like that. I, like, like deeply embarrassing, um, shaming, hurtful, things that, that have damaged my life, um, relationships where I've been embarrassed or uh, places where I've failed at something or maybe there's sin and shame in my past. And those things, they can start to be like nicknames in our brains. Sometimes they're, they're like nicknames in the community, People know us by these things. And sometimes they are just uh, internal nicknames where the, the enemy kind of whispers that and, and my own psyche just starts to say, this is who I am. And sometimes I, I can spend my whole life just trying to react to that, to say that's not who I am. And I'm trying to and I in, in, uh, you know, invest my time and energies trying to react to that nickname. Other times I just come to know myself as that, so then I begin to live that way because that's who I am. You know, 
And there's a real danger, of course, in, in us taking things from our past and making that the identity now of who we are. And, uh, there's, there's always kind of, uh, this moment where if someone moves like out of state or out of town to a place where no one else knows them, maybe it, the quintessential moment is when a high school student goes off to college. And if they don't know anybody there, it's like, wow, fresh start, you know? And you can completely re, identify yourself and you have they have this opportunity to make things new and fresh um i remember this one time i ran into a former uh co-worker of my brother's um and he said hey uh, when he heard my last name he said um i think i worked with your brother um and i was like oh really and he said yeah john deering right and i was like no my brother's name's ernie and uh, I said, that was my dad, actually, it's John. Um, and he's like, this was not your dad. <laughs> um, and uh, and so I said, I don't know. And then I, I remembered at the one place he worked, my, my brother's name is actually John Ernest, and he always went by Ernie. And at this one place he worked, he actually had told everybody, my name's John. You know, and they called him John. And so everyone there knew him as John. And then when, and when I ran into this guy, he had no idea that Ernie was Ernie. You know, he only knew that uh, this guy as, as John. And it's, it's funny how in a different place and in a different setting, we can kind of change how people see us, even our name potentially. And when you go off to college, you can start all, but you know what you can't do is, is you can't that quickly or that easily change how you think about yourself. And that's why it's really difficult to completely reinvent yourself, even if the people are all different, because they can kind of smell it on you, you know? It kind of ekes out of our pores in the way we act, in the way we interact in relationships. We are, in some ways, living out of what has happened and who we have been. And so then we approach relationships and we approach situations based on our past, and so no matter, even if we take us out of our context and put us in another context, we don't easily have the power to just wash our own brains from the past and then reinvent myself new here. And in some ways, that's a good thing. I mean, in some ways, God develops us uh, in time and grows us and we learn from the past. But sometimes our lives are deeply limited because we're believing stuff that's only in our head because it's not a reality anymore. It's something that was way back there that may or may not have even been fully true back there, but it's become this big thing that shapes me. And it's time for me to let it go because God has more for me. And God wants me to engage life differently. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at um, three people in the Scripture who had passed and could have been identified by that past and then Jesus invites them, God invites them into a new place, a new identity. And when they step into that new identity, we find that all the past, all the stuff, all the struggle, the fear, the hurt, the shame, all of that, they're able to let it go and receive the joy that God had for that day for them. And that's what we want for us. Anybody else want that? Yeah? Okay, cool. Let's pray. God, we just ask for your blessing over this time together um, as we search your scriptures. Uh, your scriptures 
are truth to us. Your scriptures are life to us. Your scriptures are a light that guides our path. And it's a spotlight that reveals reality. It allows the fog to lift over the reality of your kingdom and all the other stuff that we think and hear and messages. There's something so powerful and profound about your word that can cut through it and allow the fog to dissipate and allow us to stand in the reality of the life that you have designed for us. Let that be true with your word here today. In the name of Jesus, amen. So uh, the first passage that we're going to look at is in Luke, okay? It's in Luke chapter 7. Now, you know that uh, uh, typically we stand um, in honor of God's word when we do our scripture. We have a lot of, uh, a number of different scriptures to look at. But um, do you know why we stand in honor of God's word? Well, to honor God's word. But there's a, there's reason. I, I mean, you know, when we're, when before the ball game, you're singing the national anthem. Everybody stands, right? Because we honor what it, what it takes to see that flag waving there. We're honoring that. You put your hand over your heart when you say the Pledge of Allegiance. Why? That's, a, that's an act of honor. How much more, when it comes to the Word of God, do we need to give honor and create templates in our lives and, and ritual and routine in our life that shows that this is something sacred. This is reality. This is what we stand on. And so uh, we, we don't stand every time we read the scripture, but we do that at the beginning of the service just to remind us how valuable, how important this is. We honor the word of God and we stand on it. So why don't you stand with me? We're going to be in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36, okay? Um, this is uh, an interaction that a Pharisee is having with Jesus. One of the Pharisees asked him, that, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And went into the, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the, of the city who was a sinner, when, uh, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, with the, the hair of her of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, <laughs> and this is, notice who he's talking to. He said to himself, it's the only person he's talking to. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. He's like, it can't be a prophet. He would know who she is. And Jesus answering said to him, notice no one asked Jesus a question, but he's answering the question that's in this guy's heart. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. And you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, 
Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. God bless the reading of his word. You can have a seat. So what was this woman's nickname in the scripture? What, what, what would she have been known as in the community and by the, by the Pharisee? What was she known as? Sinner. What was her nickname? That's, uh, that's, give me a girl's name, Susie the Sinner. That's what she is. Obviously. I mean, if he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. And Jesus even says, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Right? So she legitimately had earned her nickname as sinner. I mean, I don't know what she was, kind of sin she was into. Uh, you know, maybe she was one of the mobsters. I don't know. But she was, she was identified and understood in the community as someone who was involved in all sorts of things that were inappropriate. And so she became known as the sinner. That was, that was kind of her identity. That's who, who she was. I mean, the fact that she was a sinner is like, well, duh, we're all sinners. Like, that, that, that doesn't say anything until you realize, like, that's how she was known. That's who she was. And that was her identity. So here she is, the woman who's the sinner, and she walks in, and you, and you hear the whole story. But the, the interesting thing that happens is how Simon is, is still trying to define her based on everything he's known about her until this moment, but Jesus sees something very differently. See, Jesus is, his definitions of who this woman are, by the end of this day, he's going to give her a new nickname. He's going to have a whole new nickname for this woman. Because what happens is she hears that Jesus goes to Simon's house. And it says that as soon as she hears, she goes to the house. Which is pretty spectacular when you think about a woman who's carrying this kind of reputation and yet still feels the courage and the freedom to bust into a Pharisee's house and to chase Jesus. In other words, what was happening in this moment is this woman was not letting her past define her present. Because the thing that drew her so heavily into Jesus is she understood that when Jesus saw her, he saw something radically different than what everyone else there saw. He saw something so incredibly different. And you watch her emote all over the place and react all over the place. Think about this for a second. If, you, if the scriptures didn't tell us she was a sinner and we knew nothing about her past, if all you saw was this story in the scripture of Jesus goes to this Pharisee's house and this woman comes in and does all this stuff, what would you identify her as? What kind of nickname would you give her if you didn't know her checkered past? Brave. brave. Good nickname. It'd be Betsy the Brave. What else? What else would you name her? Devoted. Debbie devoted. Yeah. Worshipper. Wilma the worshipper. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Worshipper. Devoted. Brave. Faithful. Yeah. All these names when you look at this moment. And she's known in the scriptures by this, by this act that she had here. And yet everything prior to that, she was known as sinner. What made her be able to act that way despite all of her past and the way she was seen it was one thing. Yeah, she believed what Jesus saw instead of believing what everyone else saw. 
And the reason she's reacting the way she is, is Jesus says, those who are forget, those who love much, those, uh, those who are forgiven much, love much. And that was the whole point. Is that she realized just how much that gaze from Jesus, when Jesus gazed at her, and she looked into Jesus' eyes and she's like, he is not seeing me the way everyone else is seeing me. He's not treating me the way everyone else is treating me. And she chose to believe how he was seeing her instead of how everyone else was seeing her. And when she did that, she realized how awesome this was and how life-changing this was and how freeing it was far more than a freshman going off to college and being able to re-identify themselves. What's happening with this woman is it's not just how everyone else sees her that's going to change. It's that he's giving her the power to see herself differently. And that actually changes her, not just how people see her. It changes the way she'll make her decisions and the way she views herself. It's going to change everything. And she knows it. So she flips out in worship. And she has, she's just brave. She's not afraid. She's uninhibited. She's a worshiper. She's a worshiper at this point, praising God. And and so Jesus says at the end, he says, yeah, uh, she's been defined as a sinner, but now her sins are forgiven because she has loved much. And so he redefines her and says, she's the lover. That's what he says she is. Look at that love. Look at that tenacious love. She was known by sin, and now she's known by love. Interestingly, Simon also has a problem with his past. Do you know what his problem is? He said he has a really good past. Yeah, you see, the problem is, it's like he won the football game in high school and he got stuck there, you know? That's what happened. He's, 30 years later, he's still hanging out trying to tell everyone about this game he won back then because that's when he felt good about himself. That's what's going on. You see, he's still living in his own righteousness. Everything that I've done up till now makes me Simon, and she's done all of this stuff, and that makes her there, and there's this gauging. And what's happening in that moment is that he can't receive Jesus for all he is because he doesn't know that he needs a different gaze from Jesus because he's already got a really good self-esteem or a head of steam or whatever, you know, like... And he's full, and so he doesn't need what Jesus is offering. It takes us to our second person, okay? So Philippians chapter 3. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. There, I heard a page turn. Good, I was waiting to hear a page turn. Thanks. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. This is Paul talking about um, his past. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. Is that a big deal? Why is that a big deal? Who are the people of Israel? At that point. Help me out. Israel, who are they? God's chosen people. Yeah, people of God. It's a big deal. They're the chosen people. What's circumcision? Cir- don't describe it in detail, please. But like, what did it represent? It, it was the covenant. Right? So I am a child of God. 
I, we obeyed the law. I am brought into this covenant as a child of God, is what he's saying. Okay, so I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. My history, I'm, I come from good stock, man. I can trace it all the way back to Benjamin, one of the twelve, you know. Um, the tribe of Israel, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church. For us, we're like, that's where he went wrong. But what he was expressing was that he was so committed to the law that he was even willing to hold others accountable to that. How many of us can really say that? You know, that we're so committed to the pursuit of Christ that we even hold our, our friends and our family members accountable to that. That's a that's a lot of zeal, you know. A, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And then he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He didn't just count it as not helpful. He counted it as loss. Why is it a loss when it comes to knowing Christ? It gets in the way of, why does our good past get in the way of knowing Jesus? Because like Simon, when Jesus walks in the door, it becomes very difficult for us to realize what just walked in the door. Because we're not this broken person in need who has a terrible... If we, if we have a great past and, and we feel good about ourselves and because of our past, then when Jesus looks at us and says, I cherish you as a child, you're like, yeah, that's cool. Thanks. You know? No, this is... Almighty God taking a broken wretch of a sinner and saying, I love you with everything inside of me. And when I'm broken because of my past and I see him see me differently, that should cause an amazing reaction. But when I'm still feeling pretty good about myself, sometimes that inhibits me from receiving the forgiveness of God and, and, and experiencing all the beauty of what that is. So Paul says, I count this as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Because I realize it doesn't help me know Christ more that I have this past. You know, there's good things in his past, and I'm sure that he's grateful that God built stuff into him because, it, uh, you know, growing up under the scriptures made him better at his job as an apostle, so to speak. You know, but at, but at the same time, it didn't necessarily help each morning when he woke up feeling the need for Jesus. And he says, man, so, so forget it all. I'm just going to pursue Christ. You look down in verse 13. And it says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, and so, so we know that, uh, that in between there, Paul says, uh, that uh, whatever he had, he, he counts it all as loss, and then it says, uh, for his sake, I've, I've lost all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, having a righteousness not of my own. And uh, sometimes we just get stuck on that stuff. You know, we're moving on Friday. We're moving to a new, uh, different house on Friday. And so we're packing boxes like crazy and everything right now. And it's amazing, you know, of course, what you find when you're packing. And we have this stuff from uh, when our kids were in preschool, these like paintings. And like, I, I think they're like ancient cuneiform. They're really just scribblings. And what's going on is like, Jen will take this out and she's looking at it and she's like, oh. And the boys are like, yeah, throw that in the trash. You know, and so, because the boys don't care and she does. Why? Why? Because for them, they're like, you should see how good I draw now. You know, I'm awesome. Like, that drawing's no good. But for Jen, that's a memory and there's something she's holding onto with that. And she's just like, that's a, that's a good thing, you know? And, but the boys could not care less because who cares about back then? Life is exciting. Like, today is awesome and tomorrow's gonna be even better. And that's the attitude they have. But the older we get, the more we tend to kind of hold on to things that happened back there and want to kind of relive those days. 
and, and, and make sure they don't fly away, you know? But we can take lessons from children who every day is fresh and new. And there's some joy that God has for me now. And I don't need to go back and save this thing in order to feel good and joyful today. What I have to do is sometimes just let go of all of that and embrace what God has today. Amen? That's what we need to do is grab a hold of today. Grab a hold of it. And sometimes that means that we have to let go of the stuff that's back there because we're unable to receive all that God has for us right now because we're still stuck in that stuff back there. John 8.36 says this. It says, if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. Whatever the limits have been in the past are no longer the limits right now. Whatever was my righteousness and my goodness back there is no longer what's going to define the goodness today. Christ is setting me free from all of that back there. Okay? Last person we're going to look at here. Genesis 32. Taking a step back. Talk about a tough name. This isn't a nickname. This is a real name that this guy was given. His name was Jacob. Anybody know what Jacob means? What's that? Yeah, it's deceptive. Yeah. Deceiver. Tough name, huh? What'd your mom name you? <laughs> Deceiver. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and it was all because of just the what happened at birth, but it ended up being one of those amazing prophetic names, you know, that God uses in Scripture because Jacob was such a deceiver. They had to be like, you know, when he was like 10 years old, they had to be like, man, did we nail it with that name, you know? And But you kind of wonder, like, is he living into his name? Or was it like they got it right when they named him, you know? And that, that's that's a big part of the struggle of Jacob's life. And it seems like he's not a guy who works really hard with his hands and, and, and gets stuff done in order to receive what he needs. The whole sowing and reaping principle was different in his mind. He says, you know, my brother sows and I figure out how to reap from my brother's sowing. You know, and so he's the manipulator, the deceiver. And that was his way of, was he would, he would work people you know, to get what he needed instead of working to get what he needed. That's how it worked out for him. But then when it got so bad that, his, that he, had to, he had to skip town because his brother was going to kill him. And so he had to go live with his uncle. And that's where he met his wives and God blessed him and all this stuff. But when he got to see his uncle, his uncle started deceiving him like crazy. And he was getting a dose of his own medicine. And that's kind of what happens sometimes, isn't it? I mean, it's not always what happens, but sometimes what goes around comes around. Like when you, you live by the sword, you die by the sword is what Jesus says to Peter, that when you start living that way, and so his past kind of comes to haunt him. And two different times his past comes to get him. First is when he gets away from his home and he goes to another place. Now the way he's been living starts catching up to him. And because he can't manipulate Laban nearly as, like now Laban's also manipulating him. But then here's the second time is God calls him to go back home. And when he's called to go back home, now's the moment where he has to face his past. You know, um, when uh, Josh and I came back into the area here, Josh was in Michigan and uh, I was in Ephrata and God called us back here to Parker Ford Church six years ago. And uh, I was like, ooh, going home. This is my home church. I was raised in this church, you know, and I have been pastor in other places, but I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Like, um, I, people know me, you know, <laughs> and know my past, and I'm going to have to face that. You know, I have to figure that out. Like, and, and can I believe about myself differently? 
Can I believe what Christ believes enough about me to stand in the strength of who he's called me to be instead of living out of that, the places that I, I used to be? And, and, and so this is exactly what's happening to Jacob. And it's awesome. Verse 6 of Genesis 32, it says, oh, he had, by the way, he, he was, he knew he was going back to the land of his fathers because God called him to, but he knew he had to face his brother. So he sent these messengers out to kind of soften the blow with his brother. And this is what the messengers say when they come back in verse 6. It says, and the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Good call, right? Good reason to be afraid. He divided the people who were with him, and this is out of fear, and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So he's, you can see that he's not thinking in a winning mentality here about God's calling. He's just trying to survive. You know, he's not using wisdom at this point. That's the fear wisdom, the wisdom of men, not the wisdom of God. And so he's dividing things because he's afraid. And he says that. You keep going, and it says, and Jacob said, now watch, he goes into a place of prayer. O God, my father, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. You see what's going on here? Jacob, who used to feel like I could get out of any situation and manipulate every situation, he's afraid now because it's coming back to get him. But what's going on is he's also getting humble and he's turning grateful. And when you listen to his prayer, he's saying, I don't deserve anything that I have. And it's awesome because he's starting to sound like that woman who came to see Jesus. And he's turning it to a heart of gratitude. And then he says, I need your help. And I'm divided into two camps. Now, this is where this gets interesting, okay? Listen to me. Have you ever been divided into two camps in your life? Have you ever been in the place where it's like, there's Tim who was back here, who I remember, who my brain still kind of thinks is Tim. But that's kind of phantom Tim of my past and only present to the extent that I believe it. But then there's Tim who God called as his child and who called into the calling that he has for him. And there's what God thinks, and there's what I remember. And I'm trying to hold these things, and if I think of myself this way, then I'm going to act this way. And if I think of myself this way, then I'm going to act this way. And every morning when I get up, how I view myself will determine what kind of decisions I make. And the, and the weird thing is, is when those things are warring within me, and I'm trying to figure out who am I, I'm in two different camps. You know, and this is what Paul's actually talking about with the old man, new man kind of thing. You know, it's like, am I still living, believing on this person or am I now living, believing that I'm this person? And that's what's going on with Jacob in this situation. Uh, he said, you know, or two camps. And then he says, please deliver me from the hands of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. That's called confession. He's being honest with God. This old part of me is still afraid that he may come and attack me, attack me and the mothers with the children. But you said, this is the other part, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for the multitude. He's like, man, everything inside of me is remembering who I was. And I'm, I, there's, you know, there's the, there's, you ever heard this? There's the facts and there's the story. 
The facts are what we know. The story is what we create in our minds to fill up the facts. You see a person and you here's, you saw them do this and then you watched them do this. And then you know this about them. So then in our minds, judgment is we write a story that connects all those facts. That story may or may not be true, right? And in our own mind, what we do is we have these facts in our life about, like Jacob's like, the fact is that I did this to my brother back in the day. The fact is that the last time that I engaged my brother, he wanted to kill me. So the story is he's going to kill me. But that's not the story. Because there's another story that is based on different facts that says, God changed my life. And if I believe those facts, and if I believe that God has called me, then I can look at this situation very differently, and God can write a different script for my life. And I can believe a different story. And so here's what happens. Okay, so then... um, we skip down with me to verse 22, and it says, The same night he arose and took two wi- took his two wives and his two female servants and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had, and Jacob was left alone. It's really important. He was left alone. You know why? Because when it comes to facing the demons of our past... Other people can process with us. You can go to a counselor who can talk you through your past and tell you, you know, this isn't true or that's not true or here's the effects that this stuff had on you. When I go in counseling sessions all the time with people, we talk through the damage of the past or or, or whatever. But when it comes to actually re-identifying yourself and believing something different, no one else can believe that for you. We have to get face-to-face with God and choose to believe what he's saying about me. It doesn't matter if everyone else in my life views me a certain way. If I still am believing that past, it doesn't change a thing. Because they can all view me that way, but I'm not realizing the potential of the gospel in my life because I can't receive how God views me now. It's alone that I have to stand before God and receive how he views me. And change that. And so it says that he was alone. And it's this awesome moment where, um, okay, it says he was alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. He was alone, but there was a man. You know, and of course that gets explained to us. And so he's wrestling. He's sitting there, wrestle, wrestle. Verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. This is, this is awesome because Jacob is always used to manipulating people and winning. And so here he is. And again, he gets the best of whoever this is, the angel or God. He gets the best of them. I don't know what that's about. I think like God's like, like I, every now and then I let my kids pin me in the wrestling match too, you know? And I have a feeling like God's like, all right, wrestle it out, you know? And Jacob's given it everything he got and he got him pinned. And then God's like, this easy. Just touches his hip. Bam! And it's out of joint. Done. Game set and match. You're going to walk with a limp the rest of your life to help you depend on me. And there's this awesome moment when he realizes he can't handle it anymore. And as soon as he realizes that he can't handle it and there's a power bigger than himself, he turns around and grabs a hold of this guy. Okay. And he said, and Jacob said, and, and uh, so verse 26, then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Does that sound like the woman who came to see Jesus or Simon? That sounds like the woman. I'm not, I'm not letting you go. I'll weep on your feet. I'll 
pour my ointment out. I will not let this day go until I've connected with you, Jesus. Whereas Simon's like, thinks he's doing Jesus a favor by inviting him into his house. You know? And Jacob has changed because he's not manipulating God at this point. He's grabbing a hold and saying, I need what you have. And he's willing and able to receive it because he's not being defined by his past anymore. Instead, he's desperate. And he says in verse, uh, and then, um, 27, God responds to him and he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, which means deceiver. Then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. <laughs> this is so amazing. It's so powerful what happens here. And um, so uh, you are no longer one. He completely redefines him. He holds on to him. He says, God, I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go until you bless me. And remember, he's about to face his brother the next day. And this is basically what God says. He says, you are no longer one who manipulates people. You are one who clings to God. You no longer get what you need by working people. You now get everything you need by holding on to me. And it's this awesome redefinition. And basically what I sense in this is God's like brushing them off then, standing them up, smacking them on the backside and say, go face your brother and you're bigger and better and stronger than you ever were before. Not because you're a big Jacob, but because you are one who is leaning into God and you can depend on me. And so go greet your brother with love. And he does. And what's amazing is, is his brother, you know, now he comes to his brother and he has all these gifts that he was given to his brother because he was afraid of his brother and he was trying to manipulate him. And instead of just apologizing, you know, he was, he was trying to manipulate him. And his brother's like, I don't need any of that stuff. And he said, yeah, but now I want to give it to you. You know, and he blesses his brother with it comes from the right spot out of love. And he's able to come from the right perspective. Listen, some of you, have, we've all had stuff, you know, and for some of us, um, you've experienced uh, verbal abuse, you've experienced neglect in your life, you've experienced maybe physical or sexual abuse in your past, and that speaks, it changes your reality. As a child or even as an adult, it begins to change your reality, how you see things, how you see yourself. But God wants to change all that. And, um, and he probably is changing it. For some of us, we've had former relationships that have really gone south that haven't worked out. And it gives us a hopelessness around relationships. And we're afraid of interacting in those relationships. We don't think it'll work out in the relationships we have now. That's called baggage, you know. And for some of us, we have sin and we're still carrying the shame. And instead of letting it go and receiving the forgiveness that Jesus has and seeing ourselves as new, we're still reacting to the shame and still trying to compensate for that shame. Or we still feel dirty enough that we continue the cycle because, because of that stuff. And uh, God wants to let go of that. And, or maybe we've failed at something. And we think that because we failed at it back then that we're afraid to do things with great courage and faith now. All of that, all of that is gone. All of that is a phantom of the past. It's not reality. It's not here today. Today, you need to receive the fact that therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Can you say amen to that? There's two things I want to say um, before we close it up here. One is there, you've heard the song, maybe you've heard the song from 10th Avenue North called More. Um, this is a great song. I, I get that album. Um, and there's this, uh, this song. It goes like this. There's a girl in the corner with tear stains in her eyes. 
from the places she's wandered and the shame she can't hide. She says, how did I get here? I'm not who I once was, and I'm crippled by the fear that I've fallen too far to love. But don't you know who you are and what's been done for you? Don't you know who you are? You're more than the choices that you've made. You're more than the sum of your past mistakes. You're more than the problems you create. You've been remade. She tries to believe it, that she's been given new life, but she can't shake the feeling that it's not true tonight. She knows all the answers, and she rehearsed all the lines, and so she'll try to do better, but then she's too weak to try. Don't you know who you are? This is not about what you've done, but what's been done for you. This is not about where you've been, but where your brokenness brings you to. This is not about how what you feel, but what he felt to forgive you and what he felt to make you loved. You are more than the choices that you make, more than the sum of your past mistakes, more than the problems you create. You've been remade. Today, there's a choice that lies in front of us. There is a joy-filled day that extends from this moment till the time you lay your head on your pillow. And there is joy to be had found in Christ. And you can embrace all of it. But in order to embrace it, we need to let go of the junk of the past and the fear of the past. And we need to let go of the righteousness and the goodness of the past in the sense that that doesn't define us. That today's a new day with mercies that are new every morning. And God wants to give you joy today and is asking you to let go of that and embrace this. That's what he's saying. He says that to churches. He says it to people. He says it to everyone. Okay. Parker Ford Church, we have a rich heritage, rich heritage, all sorts of cool stuff that's happened in the history of this church. This church has also had limitations and it's had hurts and it's had pains. That stuff's yesterday. Today, look around the room. This is Parker Ford Church. You are Parker Ford Church. We have 200 years almost behind us as a church, but today you are Parker Ford Church. And whatever it is that happened at that previous church experience or whatever this church used to be does not define today. Today, God wants to do something awesome in this church. God wants to do something awesome in you and in this church. And we together today can receive the joy of what God has for us right here and right now. God hasn't changed But he has changed us and he makes us new today. And our one job is the hardest thing in the entire Christian faith. And it's just this, to believe that all of that back there is not who I am. But that when the father looks down and sees me, he doesn't see my past. He sees what Christ did on a cross. And it sets me free to believe that I didn't earn my reputation, I was given my reputation by Christ on a cross. So when God looks at me, I am redefined. And if I live in that reality, my day is going to be full of joy today. And so is yours. All right? So we're not going to get to the takeaways today. We've run out of time. So um, the, the sheet that you have there for the takeaways, uh, we'll email that out. And next week, the, uh, you'll, you'll get it emailed out um, tomorrow and then um, it'll also be on the back filled out um, next week. So join me in prayer. God, we thank you for um, this day, for giving us this day right now. And we thank you that, um, you know, I don't have to be defined by my, that, that stuff in the past. Jesus, I, that wrestling match, that internal wrestling match, um, we just ask that today, um, for any one of us who's struggling, 
You know, we have that scar and that stain back there that we just can't shake. Or we have the, the way we've been known and so now the way we know ourselves. God, I just ask that you would call each one of us to our knees like Jacob and that you would help us, God, to, to not wrestle to change the exterior things in our lives so that people see us differently and we can feel different about ourselves, but instead that you would help us, God, to get on our knees with you and wrestle with you and lay a hold of you and say, God, it's so hard for me not to identify myself based on my past or based on my desires, but instead to identify myself based on what you've done on the cross. Give me my new name. <laughs> speak your calling over me and give me the ability to let go and to believe in the name of Jesus. Amen.